Hey, y'all. Well, that's not good. Hey, y'all. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this installment of Go South, Old Man, a somewhat weekly podcast where a northern-born southerner explores some of the lesser-known things in and around the southeastern United States. Well, in this episode, we, or I anyway, are in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. Now, for those of y'all who have never had the privilege of visiting this city, you should understand that there are really a couple of downtowns, depending on how you look at it. That's because some geniuses years ago decided it'd be a good idea to bring two five-lane interstate highways together and merge them into one giant five-mile, or eight-kilometer, parking lot. Uh, Excuse me, I mean highway. And they called it the Connector. Though I can't fathom what it connects exactly. But as is the American way, good is never good enough. So these madmen decided it'd be a spectacular idea to run this Connector right through the middle of the southeast's largest city, cutting it right in half. Perfect. So, as a result, different parts of the city developed separately, and it can be hard to pinpoint exactly where downtown is to some people. Well, all that said, I'm in what Google Maps says is downtown, so we'll go with that. Now, I know, I know, hey, Downtown Atlanta isn't exactly a lesser-known thing. Why is it on this podcast? Well, I'm glad you asked, my attentive listener. We're actually going to talk about the old Weinkauf Hotel, which was down here in this area. The Weinkauf Hotel opened in 1913 and was one of the tallest buildings in the city at around 15 stories. It was also one of the new fangled modern steel frame skyscrapers. And it boasted many fine details, including interior partitions, heavy wooden doors, and a transom panel above each guest door that could be opened for ventilation between the rooms and the hallway, as well as easy opening windows. These unique features help keep the rooms cool in the days before air conditioning. The hallways were finished with decorative painted fabric, and the rooms were finished with layers of exquisite wallpaper. But its main features had to do with the biggest danger to skyscrapers in that day, fire. There was a grand staircase, which was fireproof, and it ran from the bottom floor right to the very top. The the hotel also had a central fire fire alarm system, which was manually operated from the front desk. And they had hose racks on each floor, quite an extravagance at that time. Additionally, the whole building was protected by clay tile and concrete fireproofing. Thus, it was famously touted as absolutely fireproof. So, you can probably guess where this is headed. Despite all these new safety features, a fire broke out in 1946 
on December 7th, a day that was already infamous, at about 3 in the morning. A bellboy had discovered it near the staircase on the third floor. It was burning in some old mattresses and chairs that had been put there for storage. The theory was that it was set by a carelessly tossed cigarette. Others would later claim it could have been arson, but we'll just never know. Anyway, the first and only call to the fire department was made 30 minutes later by the night manager, who was reported to have attempted to warn guests by telephone of the fire first. The building's fire alarm was never sounded. One survivor actually recounted being awakened by the sound of people screaming. It turns out, while the hotel's steel structure was indeed protected from fire, its interior finishes were very flammable. Also, those door transoms made for cooling the rooms actually caused the whole building to act like a giant chimney, drawing smoke up through every floor via that one big staircase and right into the guest rooms, making the building's one exit totally unpassable. All of the hotel's occupants above the third floor, which was most of them, were trapped. Naturally, as people started to choke on the smoke, they started opening the windows. This greatly increased the air draft, making a bad situation a catastrophe. Because now those nice wooden doors began to burn, and that nice layer of wallpaper in the guest rooms ignited almost instantly. Now, although the hotel was within blocks of two engine and ladder companies, one of which actually responded within 30 seconds of the call, too much time had already been lost. By the time the firemen arrived, people were already jumping from the windows. Yet, firemen were able to catch some in handheld nets. However, some of them were actually injured by falling bodies, adding to the casualties. Sadly, the fire truck ladders could extend only partway up the new skyscraper, and many guests could not be reached. Five alarms were eventually sounded, and a more modern truck that could reach the top floors eventually arrived from the town of Mayretta, 20 miles away, and it saved a number of lives. Some desperate guests, uh, actually tied bedsheets together and tried to descend out the windows. Not all of them successfully, unfortunately. Others misjudged the alley between the hotel roof and another building and attempted to jump across with fatal results. A young medical intern on the scene happened to see this, and he found and carried an old rickety wooden ladder up to the top of the adjacent building, laid it across, and helped people to safety. One of the most famous stories was of a survivor, a blind man, who was miraculously led out the front door by his faithful seeing eye dog. Yet a large number of victims were forced to jump to their deaths. 
and a local newspaper photographer arrived just in time to catch a shot of one woman jumping. Of the 300 guests in the hotel that night, 119 would perish and 65 were injured. Among the dead were 30 high school students on a YMCA-sponsored trip, and also Mr. and Mrs. Weinkoff, the hotel's original owners. Today, it still remains the deadliest hotel fire in American history. The fire spurred significant changes in American building codes, most significantly requiring multiple protected means of escape, self-closing fire-resistant doors on all the rooms, sealed windows, and automated sprinkler and alarm systems. Stuff all we have today. It also impacted how fire departments in cities would become equipped to fight these new skyscraper fires in the future. That medical intern became Dr. Bithel Wall, who at 24 was one of the heroes. He would become president of his medical school senior class at college and would work at Grady Hospital, not far from the hotel. That blind man and his guide dog who miraculously uh, was saved, well, it turns out he had actually been staying at a different hotel, was woke up by all the noise, and left his hotel thinking it was on fire and ended up at the wine cough where reporters thought he was a survivor. The newspaper never did retract that story. And speaking of newspaper reporters, that, that photographer who took the shot of the woman jumping, well, that became an iconic shot of the time, and it won the 1947 Pulitzer Prize for photography. Oh yeah, and that fire truck, that one with the tall ladder from up in Mayretta, well... You can still see that fire truck in that town's fire museum, if you have such a desire. Today, the Weinkauf Hotel is now the four-star Ellis Hotel, part of the Marriott Hotel chain. It sits on a busy intersection in one of the busiest tourist areas in the southeast. Thousands of people walk by its small historic marker every day, not realizing the tra tragedy that unfolded here. Except now, of course, you do, my informed listener. So, if you find yourself in downtown Atlanta, check out the Ellis Hotel, which still looks outside almost exactly as it did in 1946, when it was the now infamous Weinkauf Hotel. So, until next time, Thanks for listening and stay curious.